Hey, Zaka family. Zaka is launching an exclusive membership platform to provide you with career development workshops, coaching, community, and so much more. Go to ZakaConnect.com and sign up to receive information on how to access early registration and perks. Hello, everybody. This is Paul Herman, the Prince of Motivation and host of Zaka Presents My Journey. We're creating this vulnerable and positive platform where you get inspired and motivated from different leaders from our community. Today, our guest is Stefan LaRoche, who is the regional controller for USAID India. Stefan, welcome to the show. Morning, Paul. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and to share my journey with uh, the Zaka family. Oh, and we're excited to hear your journey. I mean, we're obviously super excited to talk to you today. Uh, you are obviously our first diplomat to appear on Zaka, and we're looking forward to hearing about your journey and the goods and the bads uh, and being very vulnerable. <laughs> but before we start uh, about as we get closer to where you are right now, could you just tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background, where you grew up and your culture as well? Great. So uh, I grew up in Port Prince, Haiti. Uh just like some of the guests you've had uh, in the past. I went to St. Louis Gonzague uh, with Ciosé. He and I were in the same class. Um, so we've, we've known each other for many years. And after high school, I moved to the United States, uh, went to college, uh, Concordia College in New York, in Westchester County, where I studied uh, management and international studies. And after completing my college degree, I worked for a community development credit union uh, in Brooklyn, New York, uh, that serves uh, primarily low-income families in the New York City area, uh, providing financial literacy programs, as well as a free tax preparation. Uh, <clears throat> while I was working for the credit union, I enlisted in the Army Reserve, uh, completed basic training, and uh, I worked as a human resource slash budget uh, analyst for the Army Reserve, did that for a few years. Then I later commissioned, I became a, uh, an officer in the Army Reserve. After I completed my officer basic course, I moved up to Boston uh, to complete my graduate studies at Tufts University. Uh, I completed a master's degree in international relations. And at the end of my graduate studies, I moved down to Washington, D.C., where I worked with the Department of State as a presidential management fellow. Uh, I worked in the Management Bureau and the Africa Bureau on various uh, uh, budget and management initiatives. And while working for the Department of State, I applied uh, three times uh, for... Um, USA to become a foreign service officer. Mm -hmm. And uh, on, on the third time, uh, I was selected. Yes. And I was third time to charm. Offer and third time is a charm. And since 2015, October 2015, so almost seven years, I have been a foreign service officer and I've had the privilege and the opportunity to uh, work in Harare, Zimbabwe, Abuja, Nigeria. And right now I am working in New Delhi, India. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. I, I like the fact that you've been traveling a whole lot. That seems like a, how, how could you, could you explain that? Like, how is that 
being able to like pick up and go somewhere. And I, you know, you were coming from Haiti and it seems that you were constantly traveling in all your achievements. Uh, that's correct. So, uh, my wife and I, we, we, we joke about it, uh, since completing our uh, high school, um, time we've moved, uh, about every two years. Um, <laughs> so that kind of became the norm for me and became the norm for her as well. Um, mm. however, for my, my Nigeria assignment, we ended up staying in Nigeria for four years. Okay. So by year three, we we're like, this is not making sense to us at all. We need to be packing and moving. Uh, but we stayed for the four years, you know, COVID uh, just kind of helped make the decision to stay for fourth year. Mm-hmm. And this is this, uh, current assignment that I have in India is also a four year assignment. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And moving, moving is, is not easy, but, uh, uh, it, it's part of the lifestyle that we have chosen as a family. It's part of the lifestyle that, um, uh, comes with uh, my professional uh, aspirations. So mm-hmm. uh, I, okay. you know, I, I, I make the best of it. And, that's, and, that's, and I'm glad you kind of mentioned that because that's very important. Like, <clears throat> you know, sometimes people, when they're inclining up that corporate ladder or just the ladder in general, like it does come with some, you know, challenges. And one of them is traveling and uh, relocating is always a Correct. big thing. Um, now, let's, talk, let's backtrack a little bit. Let's talk about Haiti. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about you growing up. You know, what were some of the qualities that your parents instilled in you at a young age? So I uh, grew up in a single uh, parent household. Uh, my father passed away when I was uh, just five years old. So Sorry. I was uh, fortunate and blessed. No, thanks. I was fortunate and blessed uh, to have a wonderful, loving mother to raise me. Uh, you know, as you know, there were days in Haiti that were a bit difficult. Uh, but despite that, you know, she, she, she took care of me very well. And she really ensured that uh, she instilled in me the value of hard work and to always do the right thing and to, to share a little bit of what you have uh, with the less fortunate. And uh, that kind of stayed with me uh, throughout my life. Uh, I, you know, I, I work for the U.S. Agency for International Development, which is uh, the foreign assistance arm of the U.S. government. And this is all part of this, you know, sharing what you have with the less fortunate and to, to get to that position uh as a as a diplomat you know you, you have to go through many checkpoints and i got to where i am today even in this current assignment it's through extremely hard work you know being extremely dedicated and not giving up at all and those two values of uh hard working and sharing what you have with the less fortunate uh, i owe them to to my mother shout out to mom Indeed. <laughs> now, talk to me about that, you know, that the Haitian culture, like how embedded is that in your life now in the profession that you're in? It's a, it's a rather difficult question. Uh, I was pondering the other day with a few other uh, first generation uh, Americans as well. Uh, we, we are proud to have uh, been born and raised uh, where we came from. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a proud Haitian. But in just about a year and a half, I would have lived in the United States for as long as I would have lived, as, as long as I lived in Haiti. Uh, so it's like a weird juncture in my life where I am as much as an American as I am a Haitian. So <laughs> again, be, being a, a, a kid who grew up in Haiti in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000, uh, where there were some struggles uh, that you may have heard of, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just kind of gives you the grit and the ability to, to fight through extremely difficult times. So I draw, I draw back on that energy, you know, whenever I have to move 
So like, oh no, yet another move. I have all these things I got to do, but you know, I, I just do it just because I'm used to dealing with, uh, uh, difficult circumstances. And that, that's mm-hmm. one thing I, I guess I'm benefited from, um, the difficult times that, that I encountered growing up in Haiti. Mm-hmm. Now, when you left Haiti and you came to the States, <clears throat> what were like some of your goals that you would kind of put forth? You know, I, I was, I was chasing my, my own immigrant <laughs> journey, my own immigrant success story. Uh, it took me a while to define it. Uh, as a, as a young uh, college student, you know, <laughs> going from a Haiti where things <laughs> sometimes can be a little bit set for you and you, you go to, an American university, it's like all these doors that can be potentially open. Yeah, uh, it was a bit, it was a bit daunting at first, uh, but thankfully I had uh, great mentors uh, that helped me figure out what I wanted to do, what my passion was, and what my skill sets uh, were. So I, I married all of that together, and I was able to to define my own immigrant success story today. And uh, today I'm, I'm proud to represent the United States uh, as a as a diplomat. Um, uh, yeah. So when when I'm overseas, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I am one of uh, the many faces of America here. Mm. So t- talk to us a little about some of the struggles you faced um, in the U.S. after leaving Haiti. I know that was a massive transition, leaving Haiti, coming to the U.S., kind of situating yourself. Obviously, you're pro- most likely doing this on your own. So how was that, like some of the struggles that you faced? I think uh, the first years were very difficult. Uh, there was the, the cultural um, shock. It's like, uh, it's a totally different country. Yeah, I had traveled to the United States before, but it was just on vacation and you know, seeing family members. But suddenly I, I was forced to live in that new country, new language, uh, new ways of life. So I had to adapt. And uh, the early years were difficult. It was just like, uh, I'm a Haitian. I have my ways of doing, doing things. And suddenly I have to switch that, uh, paradigm um, and, and adapt to it because if I don't adapt, I, I can't succeed. So that was the first thing that I dealt with and uh, as you uh, may have heard from some of your previous guests, uh, going to university and uh, dealing with uh, you know, the, the workload and also at times having to work so kind of you know, finding that balance uh, was, was a bit challenging um, and then Going back to what I said earlier, kind of defining what what the professional story was going to be, it took me a while, and I had to you know reach out to a lot of people. And um, I was fortunate to also uh, be an Inroads alumni, so I joined the Inroads program, uh, which is a program that uh, helps uh, uh, minority students from various colleges, universities throughout the United States uh, to uh, work in corporate America and to to figure out what they want to do uh, after their undergraduate studies. So during that initial, during that, those initial years, you know, dealing with a new environment, dealing with a new culture, a new language, a new way of life, and also trying to uh, make ends meet and figure out what I want to do with my life. So that, that, that was a bit um, challenging uh, at the beginning of my American journey. Now, how did you get into foreign affairs? Like, what inspired you to do that? Uh, I've always uh, had a curious eye for, for the world outside of uh, what I know. And uh, I, again, going back to when I was trying to define what, what I wanted to do uh, through asking questions in my college, um, I, I started to spend time with uh, 
the ESL students uh, who are from Asia. And through uh, that connection, I, I ended up meeting uh, the chair of the International Business Department program at my college and uh, realizing that I had an interest in um, trying to understand how Asia worked. And I was you know, early 2000, you know, when China was like a sexy thing uh, to try. Um, the, the chair of the International uh, Business Department encouraged me to take one of his courses, which I did. And I fell in love with you know, how organizations uh, work across borders to, to achieve their goals. And at the end of that course, I participated in a two-week uh, cultural exchange program in Tokyo, Japan. And that just got me hooked. Uh, just this, this young immigrant kid who went from Haiti to New York City and got the opportunity to go to travel and to learn uh, in Tokyo was just amazing. And I realized, wow, the world is so much bigger. There are so many more things. Oh, yeah. I could learn and yeah. discover out there. And, and that's it. That just kind of me, got me hooked. The <laughs> following year, I, I went to, uh, I got to travel to China. Then I studied abroad in China for one full semester. And then just, just kind of, just were the building blocks. Uh, and then I, I, I work with the Army Reserve, uh, which is an organization that has you know, assets uh, across the world to the DOD. Then I, I decided to uh, strengthen uh, my academic credentials through a master's degree in international relations at one of the leading international relations schools uh, in the world, uh, the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University. And when, you, when I was there, it's just like everyone uh, is so hooked on, you know, just doing something across borders. And that's just kind of, once I, once I tasted a word, I'm like, this is it. I'm going to continue to work in that realm. And uh, I, I was fortunate, as I said, to to be selected uh, to to be a foreign service officer, and that's that's why I'm today. Now, <clears throat> something that you had mentioned, you know, in your in our interview earlier, you talked about education, and something mm -hmm. that you know I'm very impressed with. You when I'm reading your bio, the amount of education that you put in, the amount of studying you put in to get to where you are. Now, talk to our listeners. Let us know, like, why is education so important in your career? And like, how did you use those degrees and certifications to kind of like receive the uh, the, the the lifestyle or the the job offerings that you have? Uh, I'll say it's it's two things. First, those those the immigrant in me who values education through uh, what uh, my mother instilled in me, what family and friends uh, kind of showed me growing up, uh, and also going to San Luis Mosaic. You know, it's a very good program, a very good high school where education was, was, was a, a big focus. And I, I think that seeing family members and friends that valued education from, uh, from my, my early years uh, allowed me to also value um, education. So it was, it was a natural thing for me when I moved to the United States to say, yes, I'm going to pursue um, uh, uh, at least a college degree. And you know, from there, you meet all the people that are as driven as you are. And I realized that, well, to continue to move up that ladder as I'm defining my professional journey in America, I need additional credentials. So through working with folks, seeking mentorship, uh, I, I pursued additional uh, certifications and education, as you mentioned, uh, that allowed me to have 
the right balance of education and professional uh, skill sets uh, to uh, to do well as a foreign service officer. Mm-hmm. Now, could you talk a little bit more about the challenges you face? Like when you obviously education, you apply now to your job, right? Mm-hmm. Talk a little okay. bit more about some of the challenges, you know, from ed- using your education in, in your job profession. I'm sorry, can, can you restate the question? I'm not fully understanding. Like, uh, sorry. how when you know how you, you know, people were to graduate from college or university, it's time to apply that information, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Did you have a hard time applying it right away after college, or was it like something where, or after your studies, or was it something where you it just naturally flowed in? Yes, I'll say the first uh, main challenge was to define what the professional journey was and trying to figure out what I wanted to do, the skill set that I had from my studies and how all of that would translate into something that would, that would keep me happy professionally and to make me feel worthwhile. And as I continued to move up that professional ladder, uh, the first time that I applied for the foreign service and I was not selected, uh, I, I doubted myself a little bit because I feel like I, I, I did all the right things. I, I, I hit all the milestones uh, from professional standpoint and from an academic standpoint, but yet I was not selected. So I, I started to doubt myself, but I didn't let that, you know, dissuade me. I applied a second time and uh, I was rejected yet again. So it's just the, the self-doubt really uh, got stronger and I, I really was in a funk for a bit of time. But folks encouraged me to to go at it again. And a uh, third time, I was finally selected and I was overjoyed, started uh, working and realizing that everyone around me uh, who was as driven as I was uh, seemed to have had uh, experiences that some could have said uh, were potentially uh, better than mine. Then I started to have imposter syndrome. I'm like, what am I doing here? Am I going to be able to succeed? Am I going to be able to thrive like all these other folks? So I, I'll say that it's just it, it was just me doubting myself. Uh, that, that was one of the main challenges that I have. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I did not let I did not let that hold me down. And I, as I continued to to move up, move up that ladder, the, the other challenge I started to face is uh, being a Haitian American, being a mm-hmm. uh, a black man working overseas as a diplomat. That at times can be <laughs> it's it's a touchy subject because uh, the the United States uh, government really values today it really values uh, DEIA aspects. So there's a big push to ensure that the diplomatic corps. Uh, represents America as much as it can. However, uh, the diplomatic corps is still very much uh, uh, pale, male, and yell, as uh, it's 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 known at times. And when you're in those circles, you're in, you 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 attending these meetings, and you're like the only black man. Uh, sometimes you wonder, like you know, how do your colleagues value what you bring to the table? So. <clears throat> It's just, again, not having that self-doubt, you know, knowing what you're worth, knowing what you bring to the table. And if anyone around the table doubts you, you have to make a case for 
why your opinion is valuable and showing the results. Now, so that's another challenge that I'm facing with. I think I'll say something, and you talked about that uh, something very important: self doubt. Obviously, mm-hmm. mental health is very important in the in society of today. Um, like, how did you deal with any tours? Did you read any books? Was there some type of um, uh, documentary or video footage or something you were doing to help you get through the self doubt? I have a very close group of friends. friends that I use a sounding board. Uh, I, I reach out to them, you know, asking them questions, seeking their, their advice, asking them how they dealt with, you know, a particular difficult uh, professional matter or any difficulty of life in general. Uh, there is uh, a professor uh, from college, uh, the, the person who uh, introduced me to the field of international affairs. Uh, I still keep in touch with him. He's a, he's a retired corporate uh, individual who is now uh, a professor and uh, he's, he's seen various aspects of professionals rising and thriving and failing so I go to him often to seek his advice and uh, thirdly I, I, I rely on Colin Powell's journey so Colin Powell um, his soul rest in peace he is mm-hmm. also um, uh, from an immigrant family Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a New Yorker went to uh, City University of New York, but he rose to the highest echelon of the Department of Defense. Uh, he rose to becoming a general uh, and to compete amongst other generals that were all Westbrook. And I like how you have used Colin Powell as an example of like a role model, someone to look at. And I think that's very important, especially when you're, you know, try and <clears throat> move in your profession, you know, to always have something to, to look forward to, but also have someone to, you know, look at as like a, 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 a place uh, for the roadmap to be like, okay, he did this, you know, he had, he's, he had a lot of success doing this, or she had a lot of success doing this. Maybe I could adapt some of those uh, principles and practices and apply it to my own life. And I, I think that you definitely did a wonderful job in, in grabbing some of those things, and which obviously got you to where you are today. Now, I know, obviously, as a, you have a, a big title, Regional Controller USA ID slash India right could you explain to the the audience members like what do you actually do with that what's this title insist of sure so uh for, for your um audience uh, that may not be familiar with usaid uh it's the united states agency for international development it's uh the foreign assistance arm of the u.s government in a nutshell uh that agency uh provides funds uh, to tackle uh, development challenges in uh, l- various uh, low-income uh, countries that the United States uh, uh, partners with. And that agency also responds to humanitarian disasters, like hurricanes, earthquakes, etc. And uh, USAID has, of course, you know, its headquarters in D.C., but just like the Department of State, it also has uh, overseas uh, offices, uh, what we call uh, USAID missions. And there is a USAID presence in India. Uh, so the United States is a bilateral donor uh, 
to uh, India, and there we work on a, a lot of uh, global health initiatives and environmental matters and uh, other aspects of the Indo-Pacific strategy, implementing the Indo-Pacific strategy of the United States government. Mm-hmm. However, as a regional as a regional controller, I lead a team of financial management professionals that uh, provide a suite of financial management services to the USAID portfolios in India, Sri Lanka, and the Maldives. So thank you for accounting, budgeting, funds disbursements, fund allocation, uh, internal controls, audits, uh, liaising with uh, the Government Accountability Office, which is uh, the U.S. government's Supreme Audit Institute. So if you have accountants uh, that listen to the show, they may appreciate that. Uh, yeah, so that's what I do as a regional controller. Mm. Wow. So I like have a very busy day, young man. Yes, uh, my, my days are never boring. <laughs> yeah, it seems like you always have something to do. Wow. Uh, we, st- yeah. we stay busy in the field. And, and I mean, it's beautiful, too, because you get to travel. You know, you get to work with different parts of the world, different parts of the country, and you get to represent, you know, something that you believe in. You know, you push, right? So just considering, like, all these uh, uh, political situations in your country, like Haiti. Have you ever thought about like putting some of your skills or your services and kind of like going back there and kind of like helping out? That's a, it's a difficult question to, to respond to. Uh, yes. I would love to see a, a, a better Haiti uh, one day, uh, but the problems are a difficult and it, it, it would take uh, many, many heads to, to tackle them all together, uh, including our, uh, brothers and sisters in Haiti as well as the international community. Um, so I don't know what the future holds as far as me potentially uh, doing anything in that space. Uh, but as far as uh, being a foreign service officer uh, working in Haiti, uh, the opportunity has not materialized yet. Uh, just because, you know, when you look for your next assignment, it's like a weird uh, game of, where, where you think your skill set could be applied to next, you know, mm-hmm. is there going to be a position available then? Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. that, that equation hasn't worked out yet. Mm. Well, Haiti would be lucky to have you on their team. They, they already have you on the team, but then they need you on the, they need you on the court Sorry, plane. I didn't so, understand. <laughs> it would now, be a privilege. <laughs> going from Haiti to the U.S., uh, what was like the biggest like culture shock for you? I mean, I mean, Haiti, growing up in that environment and then coming to the U.S. And obviously you were coming here for schooling, but like, what was that big like culture shock for you? Uh, I'll say the first thing that probably jumped out was living in the New York City metro area and seeing the acute income disparities. Uh, you know, growing up in Haiti, I've seen poverty, I've seen... Um, families that also were able to uh, provide for well for their families. But just, just like everything in the United States, that same dynamic exists on steroids. So as a, as a college student, I took part in uh, a community program that, uh, that brought college students uh, to the city um, once a week at night to uh, provide free meals to uh, homeless uh, individuals that 
just worth sleeping uh, on the sidewalk of Manhattan. So you have this city that has plenty of money, plenty of wealth. And at times you see these homeless folks, unfortunately, seeking shelter, hungry in front of stores that are selling the most expensive and exclusive products that the world has to offer. And I, I struggle with wrapping my head around this income inequality just just <laughs> right here in the United States. So, so of all the shocks that I've had, I think it still stays with me. Like the, this thing exists in America. It, it's it's mind-blowing. It is. It, Manhattan, that, that, that area is, it is in certain areas of the country. I, mean, I think it just very, brought up a really good point. You know, you could be, on the same sidewalk, standing next to someone who's, you know, less unfortunate than standing next to a billionaire, you know, Correct. on the same corner, right? And to know that there's so much money in that city, right, in that area, and to still see that there's still that much poverty in our own country, right? It is astonishing. It, is, it sometimes baffles me as well, too. Growing up in the city as well, too, you know, coming from New York, mm-hmm. seeing that and being like, how are we not making a change or a difference? Like, where is all this money that we're spending in a sense? Why is it not going to the person on the corner of the street right now? And since you are very in tune with helping, right? I could only imagine how it feels to see something like that. Yes, uh, I still struggle with it. It's it's a culture shock that I've dealt with for many years that I don't think I'll ever get used to it, unfortunately. Mm. Now, how do you balance you know your personal life and also being a diplomat, traveling? you know, working with the government, like, how do you, how do you balance all of this? Um, it, it's, it's not easy. Uh, I, I am fortunate, however, to, uh, be married to a wonderful woman who also enjoys, uh, traveling and living overseas. Um, she herself, before we, uh, even started dating, had, had, uh, experience living, uh, overseas. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the many things that kind of, binds us together and uh when, when i decided to take on this journey this professional journey outside of america she you know she didn't have a lot of conditions and she happily followed me and uh has been enjoying that lifestyle with me mm-hmm. and uh, we we've uh, we have uh, two wonderful daughters that uh were born um as i've been a foreign service officer so that's all they know so as far as my immediate family unit it works well. You know, when we are always together, we are uh, each other's um, support system. However, it's, it's, it's difficult. You know, we miss, we miss friends, we miss family members in the United States, we miss birthdays, uh, we miss changes that take place at home, home in the mm-hmm. United States. Uh, so it's, it's the tough part of the job. But yes, you, you get to uh, represent America abroad. Yes, you get to travel. Yes, you get to experience different cultures, but you also miss out a lot and sometimes you got to pause and ask yourself you know how much longer do you want to do this and and uh, you know when when you when i when i talk to colleagues that also in that same line of business you know we 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 found strategies to to deal with this push and pull of i enjoy my life i enjoy being in country a representing america but also also miss home it's yeah. uh it's it, we find ways to deal with it but it's uh it's, it's challenging and having a 
a good support system is definitely important. And mine comes in, in the, the form of my wife and two daughters. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that as well in the beginning, you said something about like something that helped you get through it was having like a good core group friends, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Definitely seems that you've married your best friend and uh, she's definitely very supportive. So shout out to your wife if she's listening right now. Got you, girl. <laughs> the, uh, something that um that also that I'm I'm curious about, like how do you deal with like balancing like your own personal opinion as a diplomat? You know, especially with like if things don't align with like the U.S. government, like what the U.S. says, like this is what we want is on our roadmap and strategies. How do you deal with that? <laughs> um, that's that's something that we all deal with as being diplomats. Uh, there, there are several ways to tackle it. But um, the two uh, most commonly uh, strategies that folks that I'm allowed to work uh, use are you either say, no, this is, this is the U.S. government strategy. Uh, this is not my strategy. So you, you, you find a way to implement the vision of the executive branch uh, by removing yourself from it. Um, you almost kind of tell yourself this is a job like if i don't do it someone else will do it it's 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 strange uh but it it helps when when you are supporting a policy that uh you may not fully uh you know you may have a different opinion on or the other thing is you you may just not do it and you quit um (laughs) some folks have done that um and it's it's a matter of finding you know what what works for you so that's definitely got to be a hard thing, you know, when you have strong opinions as well, when you know that something is not right or doesn't sit well with you and you're still representing that organization. So I could imagine, you know, being in that tough place and, and not being able to really like voice the way you would want it to be voiced. But I know you've obviously found ways of managing and kind of figuring out ways of kind of articulating your words to kind of help in your in your favor as well. Now, how is the life as a diplomat? Like, what are some of the pros and cons that you face currently right now? Now, obviously, I know that diplomats back then to diplomats now, maybe times have changed a little bit. But, like, what are some of the pros and cons? And what uh, what would you encourage someone who's trying to pursue that route? What would you encourage them to do? Being a U.S. diplomat is a very... Being a U.S. diplomat is a very rewarding uh, profession. It's a very rewarding career. Uh, to be able to be that face of the United States abroad and the ability to live among folks, live in a country, live and experience cultures that are uh, not my own, not uh, not the American culture. That's that's part of uh, the excitement. Uh, That's one of the main pros of this lifestyle, of this kind of uh, uh, line of work. And as far as difficulties, uh, as I highlighted already, you know, be, not being at home, missing out on some of these key uh, milestones of family and friends that are in the United States, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult to deal with. And uh, I also like to remind folks, you know, just eh, not everyone is assigned to Paris friends. So life is not mm. always going to be... Uh, enjoying Paris cafe and going to museums uh, after work. Uh, There are places that are challenging. There are places that are extremely challenging. Uh, And uh, that's that's something to to, to keep in mind uh, as far as uh, living overseas. 
So you have to be prepared to deal with challenges, uh, earthquakes, you know, natural disasters in countries that may not have the infrastructure uh, to provide yeah. first responders uh, right away, just like we have yeah. in the United States. So those, those are the things to consider. And uh, as far as folks that may be interested in uh, the field of international affairs, I'll tell them, go for it. It is, it is exciting. Uh, if you want to be a diplomat, uh, there are four foreign affairs agencies, uh, USA to where I work, Department of State, Department of Commerce, and U- U.S. Uh, Department of Agriculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, there are uh, name, name any three-letter U.S. government agency. Uh, they have a small um, equity overseas. They have a small equity uh, as well as implementing the U.S. government strategy abroad. And you may have the ability to do that from home in Washington, D.C., or overseas and uh it's it's not just the only organization that allows you that allows a professional to to have a successful career in international affairs you you could be working for a non-governmental organization you could be working for corporate america corporate america has also a lot of uh folks working overseas uh uh representing their own companies abroad uh what many 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 moons ago when i got the opportunity to travel to tokyo japan as a college student uh i got uh the opportunity to speak with representatives of tropicana uh the mm-hmm. juice that we all see yeah. in grocery stores and uh there are many many corporate individuals that work overseas and so any one of your listeners that uh, is interested in the field of international affairs, I'll tell them, do their research, find the schools that offer these academic credentials, uh, tap into these networks, and if they already have uh, a good uh, set of uh, education and skill set, it's a question of networking and figure out what they want to do because that field is very broad. You know, you have everything from U.S. Mm -hmm. diplomats to uh executives from um fortune financial companies working abroad so it's a matter of finding what you want to do defining that professional journey and finding that juncture where you want to make a difference in that field Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's you are right when you're saying that it is broad like you you could it could be so many different options so many different types of opportunities so you have to really like know potentially at least the lane you want to pick because obviously it could it could expand as you go through that uh, process, but knowing a little bit more about where you want to go, and that's why like something like you said, like having someone to look up to, or having like a role model, or following someone else's career path in that journey does help. I think that um in our interview today, you know, Stefan, you, you you spoke about a lot of great things, and I I appreciate you open up and expressing like how life was back in Haiti to having your mother being like a role model for you, and um helping you kind of get your you're getting those principles and practices, those fundamentals um, at a young age, you know, from the, from Haiti, the Haitian culture, to then carry it over to your education. That's something our listeners definitely are going to gravitate to about the the power of education and what you could actually do with it. And I think that um something that I, I really caught from a lot of the things, you, you, you're, you're big on taking risks, but risks that obviously are going to affect not only yourself, but also your family. You, you're taking it because you know you want more for yourself. You want more for your family. You want more for your country. Uh, you want more for uh, uh, for a lot. And I think that's a very 
um, hard thing to do because with risk does come potentially change, but you're, I'm seeing how you have managed your change by having good friends and having obviously a, a very supportive wife and beautiful kids to kind of help you along that journey. So congratulations to you and all the work that you have done in the many years to come. Definitely good luck. And I hope that you're able to get back over to Haiti and, and help out. I know that uh, they would definitely love to have you a part of their team. So any last words you want to kind of like share with our audience members? I'll say uh, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to share my journey with uh, the audience. Uh, and I'll let uh, the audience know that, you know, working overseas is, is, is fun. Working on uh, various issues of international affairs is very exciting and rewarding. Uh, just if, if it's something they have been thinking about, just jump. It's worth it. Okay. Well, to our listeners, if you want to, hear more inspirational stories like Stefan, please check us out on ZakaConnect.com. Follow us on our social at ZakaConnect and follow our feed, Zaka, wherever you listen to our podcast. Until the next time, guys, thank you so much. And Stefan, thank you so much for joining us on the show. My pleasure. Be well.